Hello, 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 and welcome to the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. It is our third week discussing the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and its impact on the racing world. Uh, is kicking off the it's how bad it really is, <laughs> you know. Uh, and and but well, we've got some news to cover and some esports discussion. Uh, and seeing as for the foreseeable future, we'll have to enjoy iRacing events. We'll go ahead and continue to tr- treating them like everything is normal. Let's just pretend that iRacing events. That's that's our that's our racing for right now because that's that's really really all we got. Uh, anyway, I am Rob Peters, and joining me through Discord instead of Zoom because. Well, anybody who's been using Zoom right now probably knows why Discord is better. <laughs> you should know he's Josh Roller. He's alongside. He's actually located in Charlotte. I'm in Indianapolis. We are really social distancing, Josh. We are doing yeah. really good. We're taking it a little too far, I think. I mean, this is more than six feet. Indianapolis to Charlotte is a bit is more than six feet. You're I talking think. more like closer to 700 miles. <laughs> so uh, longer than the Coke 600, uh, which uh, I hope happens i hope happens because race i hope it does too (laughs) race miss is pretty much canceled this year and that's actually a great way to segue into our first discussion in the rob's racing report uh we feared it was coming and we didn't expect it this too soon but indycar has officially delayed the 104th indianapolis 500 and the gnr grand prix the indianapolis 500 will now be sunday august 23rd which has led to a few schedule moves for the IndyCar season. Mid-Ohio moves up one weekend to August 9th. Gateway moves back to August 30th. Portland, which is previously set for Labor Day weekend, moves back one weekend to September 13th. And St. Petersburg is going to be on the schedule, but its date is not yet announced. There's been some rumors that say St. Petersburg could actually be the IndyCar finale, which would be very interesting because it would then follow the race at Laguna Seca. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week in our upshift and downshift. Both Josh and I, we were pretty much well on this, that this should, this is something that should happen if the opportunity arises. And it is actually happening. So the first IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader is actually going to happen. Well, all right. When I say actually going to happen, you have everything is with a grain of salt because Josh and I were talking beforehand. We really don't know, unfortunately, what sports are going to happen this summer? Um, things are getting pushed back. You know, things are now, unfortunately, May is kind of a wash. We're looking like June might be a little bit of a wash now, too. It's looking like July might be make or break time for everybody. So if we can't get these races in by July, it might be tough for most racing seasons to actually take place. And not just racing seasons, but other sports leagues as well. It's just going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be a tough uh, few months, and but but we're here. We're here to get you through it, and that's the main point. So, but here's what's scheduled to happen on the July Fourth weekend. And so, uh, the GMR Grand Prix, which is formerly known as the IndyCar Grand Prix, uh, will take place on generally Saturday, July Fourth, alongside the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, and that'll be on the road course. I believe it's called the Pennzoil 150. So we'll have the GMR Grand Prix and the Pennzoil 150 go alongside, uh, and then the Brickyard should. Go ahead, go along as scheduled on July 5th. Again, if this happens, just keep that bear in mind. I we hope it happens because this will be a great moment for IndyCar and for NASCAR, for everybody who's just been dying to see some racing, dying to see some sports. You get to see IndyCar and NASCAR on the same day at the same racetrack for the first time ever. Uh that's kind of cool. The Cup Series in the Cup Series. IndyCar in the Cup well, in the Cup Series, right. They've had They've, they they used to race it uh, with the truck series in Las Vegas. That was cool. 
That was cool back in the day. The Champ Car did. Champ Car, not IndyCar. Champ Car did. And they still race with the Truck Series this year if scheduled goes on at Texas. And at Texas, yeah. That oh, Those are always big deals. That Texas weekend where the Truck Series and the IndyCar Series, that is on my bucket list. I can tell you that 100%. To go see the truck race and then go see the, the IndyCar race. That's in my bucket list. Um, now then, uh, moving on again further. So these this, this doubleheader is going to be interesting, but it should give us a glimpse into what is scheduled for the NAS- IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader, which might happen as early as 2022. We're looking like 2022 might be when everything is going to happen. We'll get more into those news uh, as we go along. So Jimmy Johnson who we'll talk about this later, he actually did participate in the iRacing IndyCar event over the weekend. Uh, He is considering racing in the GMR Grand Prix if permissions are granted and if he feels comfortable enough behind the wheel. Graham Rahal alerted Johnson on Twitter the day of the revised schedule announcement. So that would be interesting because Johnson was already scheduled to test at Barber uh, for Aero Schmidt-Peterson. And unfortunately that fell through because of, you know, everything got canceled. But you know, you saw his sim rig. It's set up like an Indy car, and we'll talk more about how he did in that iRacing event. Thank goodness it's just an iRacing event, but it was probably very good uh, experience for Johnson in an open-wheeled car, which is probably where we could get used to seeing him uh, in the next year or two. So, next news point, while it is unclear where the 2020 NTT IndyCar Series Championship finale will be, one thing that we do know is we're getting rid of double points. To, to heck with it. There's just too many, too little races and double points would actually affect the championship far too much. Uh, IndyCar has announced that the on, only the Indianapolis 500 will award double championship points to the field. This is in response to the COVID-19 shortened season. Controversial practice was first implemented in 2015 and it's unclear whether or not it'll even return next year. We'll see what Roger Penske does with it. I think double points in some case, especially, you know, especially at IndyCar where some of the points stand, uh, championships are a little bit closer than maybe in formula one it probably works a little bit better at indycar to spice up the championship and and give you know a a third place guy who's had a good season but had a bad few races another chance to get back into it those are all just options we'll see what happens with that uh nascar is beginning to consider delaying the introduction of the next gen nascar cup series car so Meetings will be held this week with the RTA, the Race Team Alliance, and other owners to discuss potential delays. Jordan Bianchi of The Athletic was first to report this, and Bianchi also reports that the two options on the table right now are to slowly integrate the next-gen car into the series, much like the car of tomorrow was in 2007, or choose a specific race in 2021 where the next-gen car will become the official car. Kelly Crandall of Racer.com wrote that Toyota's David Wilson prefers to see the next-gen car delayed an entire season until 2022. Uh, I could give my feelings on that personally i really don't care what they do i think it would be interesting to see it be like a car of tomorrow type situation where they run half the season with it half the season without but understandably that probably might not be as practical because you know having two separate rule books was a big challenge in 2007 i remember going for the teams and the and the drivers and the owners uh going back and forth between car of tomorrow setups and then car of yesterday setups so you know i think I think I'd probably be more interested in delaying it fully until 2022, just to make sure that we have uh, the car fully ready. Uh, but there is some good good news, some great news, not just good news, great news. NASCAR broke its own record on Sunday as the NASCAR E as the E NASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series race at the virtual Texas Motor Speedway earned a .81 rating and a 1.339. Uh, is that three or an eight? I can't remember. I can't see. 
a million viewers, breaking its own record from just seven days prior as the most watched esports event in American television history per Showbuzz Daily. So that's really good. People are really watching these iRacing events. Uh, and for some more great news, Fox Sports is doubling down on iRacing and starting Wednesday, April 1st on 8, at 8 p.m. Eastern. So that's today, if you're listening to this. That is today, April 1st. This is not an April Fool's Day joke. Literally, 8 o'clock tonight on FS1. Fox will kick off Wednesday night iRacing. This week, the World of Outlaws is featured, and it's drivers like Brad Sweet, David Gravel, Bobby Pierce, Scott Bloomquist, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, and NHRA star Ron Caps and Cruz Pedragon, which I did not expect, will race at the virtual dirt track at Charlotte. This program will be one hour long and will feature a 35-lap World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series race, and the follow- and will be followed by a 50-lap Morton Buildings Late Model race. Tomorrow, Adam Alexander, or today, we're recording this a day before, but it's going up in a day. You you guys know what I mean by now. So Adam Alexander will play host as Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyer, and the voice of world of the world of outlaws, Johnny Gibson, will help call the race. No further information on future features on Wednesday Night Air Racing on FS1 has been released, but it will be a weekly event and stretch across multiple disciplines on virtual racetracks. So that actually is a great way to end the Rob's Racing Report because that is a really cool thing that I think we can get out of uh, all of this pandemic and all of the hiatuses that sports have been taking because i mean let's face it i mean i'm out of a job right now because there's no sports if there was some sports i'd have a job i wish i could write i wish i could do stuff but it's it's great that i still get to come on this podcast and act like i'm actually participating in the world of sports even though really i'm not uh but you know that's just a great thing that's a great thing to see and uh we're really excited to i'm really excited to watch it and hope that uh they keep going uh further on so you know, that that's ending it for Rob's Racing Report. I'm going to send it over to Josh here because we've got a featured paint scheme to discuss this week. And it is from the 2017 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. So it's a bit more, uh, it's a bit, you know, more new than what we're, a bit, bit of a newer paint scheme than we're recent. Recent, that's what I'm thinking of. Sorry, it, you gotta, gotta give me some, give me a break, guys. I haven't like worked or done anything that's, required me to use my brain in like three weeks so i'm still i'm still getting in o- over it but <laughs> josh go ahead and tell us all about your paint, featured paint scheme yeah so the one i wanted to pick was actually one that i had discussed in a in the xfinity series it was just a copycat the fitzgerald paint scheme that uh as we see on the 22 a lot or saw on the 22 a lot back in the day um that Austin Cindric drove into my team car. So instead, I'm going with Kaz Grala's number 33, Chevrolet Silverado, that he drove for GMS Racing with sponsorship from Stealth. So the truck was um, a shade of lime green on the front and as well as on the roof on the A and B post. The hood was black. Uh, black and lime green stripes were then uh, went down the sides of the truck and uh, right below kind of like the B post and the back end of the truck was white. Um, now the number on the door was lime green and encircled by a, uh, black circle. And then the number on the roof was just black because the roof was green. So, uh, you know, this paint scheme is probably, uh, best known for its, uh, incident at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, but it also raced at Chicagoland, Texas, and Homestead. Now this memorable moment divided nascar twitter that day i remember that watching this race live of course i never miss a most sport race at all and uh on the final lap 
he got turned in the Moss Corner by Austin Cindric with a when Cindric put the bumper to him. All right, and uh, Grala was leading, and Cindric had to win the race if he was going to be in the playoffs. Um, but he kind of went from a bump and run to what many people thought was a dump and run. And uh, but he did recover. He finished third still. It didn't. No, it didn't end his day completely. But he went from first to third in that one. Cindric did win the race. He made it to the playoffs. And again, he split Twitter. Myself, I defended Austin Cindric because I'm like he probably didn't mean to wreck the guy or nearly wreck the guy. He just meant to give him like a little bumper, move him out of the way so we could get the run down the uh, the the following straightaway. And I was just like, eh, he, I don't think he meant to do it, but. Obviously, NASCAR Twitter often doesn't agree on everything absolutely 100%. Uh, we've seen that. Um, he did finish third in that race, but then he went on to finish ninth at Chicagoland, sixth at Texas, and 13th at Homestead. So I really like this car. I like, I mentioned it before, kind of like those, those green and white colored cars in lime green in particular. I really don't know why. I just do. Um, so that was my feature paint scheme today. Rob, what's yours? Hey man, Kaz Grala had some great paint schemes back back then. You know, in 2017, Kaz Grala had some of the best looking trucks out there. I gotta tell you. But one that I quite liked a little bit more than that. Uh, as a big fan of one-off paint schemes and a big fan of Kyle Bush running in lower divisions, much to everyone else's dismay dismay. Because believe me, everybody hates it, except for me. And I Xfinity race with Kyle Bush is in it. Boy, that's more incentive for me to tune in. I really love his number 46 Banfield Pet Hospital Toyota Tundra that Bush ran at Kentucky and Bristol that season. So this was, I believe, the first time he'd run the 46 truck. Or maybe it was the second year. I can't remember off the top of my head. When it was one of the first years he ran the 46 truck, it's kind of like an R&D car, uh, mostly. Uh, and the, But the car had a light blue base, and that was it. It was a simple It was a simple paint scheme and a light blue light base. It had logos and sponsors all over it. Uh, but, it but the color scheme was just so pleasant. That I really, really liked it. I think he ran another one. Uh, it was, it might have been 2016 or maybe 2018. I can't remember where he, he ran one that was sponsored by Pedigree. And that one was a really good one. I actually really liked that one. Uh, and it might not have been Kyle in their car. It might have been somebody else too. But, you know, the, that, this car, this 46 uh, blue Banfield Pet Hospital was truck, was a really good paint scheme. And the car was only ran by Bush twice. Uh, actually, Bush ran the 51 and every other uh, race he entered in the truck series that season. But uh, of the two that he entered, this car won. He finished sixth at Kentucky, and he won Bristol, which kind of is a given. You put Kyle Busch in a race car at Bristol, and if he doesn't win, you should probably pinch yourself and make sure you just you, you weren't dreaming. Uh, um, but yeah, so Kyle ran other races that year in his famous number 51 truck, but he ran those two races in the 46. So that this makes this car paint scheme combo a little bit more rare, a little bit more fascinating, a little and a little bit more uh, unique to the truck series. So, you know, I, it's always interesting to talk about cause Kyle has had some very great looking truck paint schemes in the past. And, uh, anytime I get to talk about them, I will gladly take the opportunity because when he first started that team in 2010, those Toyota, like when they were only, br- br- uh, sponsored by Toyota, those were still some of the hottest trucks on the, on the track. And, oh, yeah. I, and, and, and I'm being serious about that. Those were some of the hottest trucks on the track. So, uh, yeah, really just, Big fan of those those ones. And yeah, it was kind of easy. I only had to look up uh, two stats for that one. I only had to look up the two stats. That's exactly. not why I like doing one-offs. It's not because I like putting in less effort. It's actually because I genuinely like talking about, you know, how some of those uh, 
those paint schemes have history behind them. So that's where my featured paint scheme is. So let's go ahead and talk about this week's winners because there were winners because there were iRacing events. Two that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the IndyCar iRacing Challenge at the Virtual Watkins Glen International was won by Sage Karam of Dryer and Ride Bold Racing. Uh, and then the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series at the Virtual Texas Motor Speedway. Boy, that is just not rolling off the tongue for me. It does not. I had to do it all last week. <laughs> I still can't say eNASCAR and then iRacing. I don't know what to call is it. Is it iRacing or is it eNASCAR? Is it eRacing? I, I, I don't know. Now, you, now, now you're blurring the line. You're blurring the line. Tell us who won. <laughs> Timmy Hill won, which, by the way, is still surprising to everybody who's never watched Timmy Hill race on iRacing. But if you have, it's not really that much of a surprise because the guy's very good on iRacing. Uh, and he won for MBM Motorsports. So that's really fantastic work for him. So let's take a look at some of the top takeaways from this weekend. So uh, the Glen, Josh, we, you could... Bump in, butt in whenever you want. I don't care. You stop me whenever you want. Uh, if if you want to add in a comment or something. Uh, the first IndyCar iRacing Challenge race saw no James Hinchcliffe as his car glitched and did not appear on the grid uh, for the 45-lap uh, race. So that sucked. Yeah. That's for everybody who was really hoping to see James Hinchcliffe. Plus, he was in his car that he's supposed to run in Indianapolis. Yes. So that's even more of a bit of a disappointment i was kind of excited good looking about that but it was a two-stopper uh with fixed setups which is always great in iRacing because like i talked about last week those fixed setups are really really what you want on these cars if you're going into an open setup you can just expect to be destroyed by everybody else <laughs> you can expect to be destroyed by somebody who can run their car on low tire pressures loses all heck and then what are you gonna do where, that, where it really makes it where it really makes a difference is where you have the guy like Timmy Hill, who has ran over a thousand races, mm -hmm. and a guy like Jimmy Johnson, who just got his rig, right? Exactly, he's gonna blow your blow your out of your socks off. So, so yeah, that that's where the fixed setup really helps both, uh, you know, IndyCar and NASCAR. Uh, yeah. So, so I I like those fixed setups. I think they make for the racing to be better. I think I uh, you know, everyone made it through the first first lap. At least we could say that, except uh, so first turn on the first lap, but uh, there was some incidents in the S's and then going down in the backstretch into the bus stop uh, between Alexander Rossley and Kyle Kirkwood, who was, I mistook for Ryan hunter Ray because that's just where my brain was going. It was. I mean, I did the same thing until I saw Kirkwood on there. I mean, I genuinely thought Hunter, I was like, why would hunter Ray not race in this? I don't see him not being opposed to, you know, a, a sim racing before, but yeah. Uh, but one thing that was interesting, and I'm skipping one here, but I'll go come back to it. But Scott Speed made his IndyCar debut. This technically his IndyCar debut. Fun fact about Scott Speed is, if most people don't know, is actually in 2011 at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, and some people don't know this, and I guess I'm just going to shoot this breeze, talk about the history about it because it's fun to talk about. I actually I mentioned it there for you. You did mention it, which I appreciate. Um, but I want to talk about a little bit more about it, which is kind of interesting because how Scott Speed ended up. This Scott Speed was supposed to make his first IndyCar start in the 2011 Indianapolis 500. Okay, here's what happened. So, Dragon Racing was going to field a, a car and, in 2011. And he went ahead and, uh, and, and Dragon, Jay Penske, they had hired Ho Tung, who was actually supposed to be the first ever Chinese driver to race in the Indianapolis 500. So, that was supposed to be a big deal because Ho Tung 
because you know he's he's not a bad driver at all. He's pretty good. He's it's just he's not raced at really anything big to give you an idea of just you know what level he's on. You know he's not like uh, he you know he's not like some of the other foreign drivers where you you know they've run in in junior formulas and won championships stuff like that. Hope and Tongue's kind of been a journey journeyman driver a little bit, uh, but but he was signed on. And what happened was. Well, this was his first IndyCar race. Hope and Tongue, he crashes a car and he and he gets injured, and so well, Dragon Race and starts running around the paddock, being like, "Okay, well, who are we gonna who are we gonna get to to drive the car that we're gonna enter?" They sign in Scott Speed. Scott Speed goes out there, makes a couple of runs, then he crashes. Cars junk and they withdraw. So Dragon Racing didn't even just ended up withdrawing from that race. So that's how, unfortunately, Scott Speed didn't make his uh uh. IndyCar debut at the 2011 Indianapolis 500. Maybe it'll come. I doubt it, but maybe. Maybe it'll come later. But uh, he was driving the number 98 in place of Marco Andretti, and he was he was going fast. He was looking great out there for a long he time. He was. And then he was running, it says here, he was running fourth place while it, when exiting the boot. He spun and crashed and was relegated to a 21st place finish. He may have been jinxed by Townsend Bell. Who knows? <laughs> well, they were talking about him. They're he, they're in the in car camera, and he crashes as Townsend Bowles like making his praises, and it's just like, dang it! The announce oh. the commentators curse, man. Commentators curse. You don't want to. It's it's better to talk about them after the fact than it is to talk them about them during the race. That's one thing I've always learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there were technical difficulties. Uh, Tony Kanon, Sebastian Bourdais, Colton Herta all had issues in the race which was unfortunate. Uh, and then Jimmy Johnson started 19th in his 2019 Darlington-inspired Ally Financial paint scheme. I actually really liked that. that I was, really liked it on the IndyCar. You would have, I liked it. Yeah. Controversial statement here. I liked it better on the IndyCar than the stock car. Sorry. No, it did look I, better I on the IndyCar than the stock game. car. I'm sorry. It just does. I'm, I'm not a disagreeing with you. You're 100% right. I'm not worried about you. Better. I'm worried about our listeners. I hope our listeners don't. Well, they're supposed to disagree with us, right? They can't just all leave. I mean... Why do you? What, I don't know. If you, do you do, does anybody listen to pundits to like agree with everything they say? Is that how people conduct themselves? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but anyway, so Johnson did end up finishing 16th. That was even after crashing when he cast it on the exit of the bus stop and left 34 spun out. Uh, but there were some standouts all race long. Obviously, Sage Karam, uh, leading 43 of the 45 laps. Felix Rosenquist, uh, being near, uh, being right near the entire time. Second, yeah, Rosenquist was right there. He was on his tail, but just didn't have enough to pass him. Will Power was also there. And those three were obviously the best. Will Power, obviously, it, apparently it doesn't matter what he drives. I mean, he's just really good at everything now. We've officially confirmed that. If you real or simulator, it doesn't matter. Will Power will get in behind, behind the wheel and drive the wheels off that thing. Um, and so uh, Will Power, actually, he was the only other driver that led. He led two laps during the cycle of pit stops. So Sage Karam essentially did lead wire to wire, 43 out of 45 laps. Um, and, but there was another driver that we need to talk about. Scott McLaughlin may have been involved mm-hmm. in the incident in the bus stop on lap six, but he rerouted to finish fourth in his IndyCar debut, which was incredible because it's really sad that we won't see Scott McLaughlin in the GMR Grand Prix. Unfortunately, that was a bit of news that was released over the week uh, because of everything getting shifted around and because of supercars not really knowing where they're going. I read, actually, that Supercars is actually considering going as far into February of 2021, which would leave their off-season to be less than a month, which would be crazy. Mm-hmm. That would be crazy to have less than a month of off-season. That's the same thing I said about the NBA, saying they wanted to push their games 
the finals back into August. And I was like, you have you have two months of off season. Then how do you get? How do you you got to get the draft in free agency? Uh, you, obviously, you're scrapping summer league. You're doing all that. Stuff. So, Supercars is kind of the same way. We're like, wow, now you're you you want to start the season in March, but you're going to end the season in February. That seems a bit crazy. But anyway, so Sage Karam ended up winning it at the Glen. Uh, and then the next race on Sunday uh, was Texas. 46 cars. Attempted 64. Sixty four. Not a good time to not be dyslexic, but act like it. 64 cars attempted to be in the event. 31 were guaranteed and four raced their way in. Alex LeBay won the qualifying race with Al- Anthony Alfredo finishing second. Uh, Ty Majeski third. And Ruben Garcia Jr. was fourth. Also, you know, I love... Ty Majeski because he has the exact same sim racing setup as I do. A laptop, a steering wheel, and pedals. That's all I have. That's all Ty Majeski has. And I want him to win for us laptop racers. Um, <laughs> I want him to win more of these things for us laptop racers to show the world that you don't need money to be a good sim racer. No. Um, and so drivers were only given a single fast repair this week compared to the two that they were given at Homestead. As a result, the race was much cleaner much, much cleaner, and went over 20 laps before the actual first caution of the race. Uh, tire wear was ever-present, and even on short runs and a late race caution, drivers elected to pit for fresh, for fresh rubber. Uh, it was seen where no tires and two tires were not a match, uh, and that's great. That's fantastic. You know, I that's one of the things that I love about sim racing is that you can actually you can make it so that the tires will degrade over time, and you actually have to manage tires. It's not just, you know, you're flat out, and going for it and pushing, pushing, pushing every turn. I mean, you actually have to manage those tires. And those can be some of the best races because if you run those tires out on a sh- on a long run and they start getting bad and you got to pit before everybody else, you're going to be kicking yourself later down down the line because you're going to be thinking about all that time and uh, all that time you could have saved and then later made up had you just mm-hmm. not run the car so hard. So usually a lot of the times uh, when you're dealing with a situation in that, you want to almost run slower save the tires, and then it, in the case of a uh, a long run. But even if you're on a short run, you get caution comes out, you could still try and make a bunch of stop, spots on this restart. And then uh, once the restart happens, then you can let off and try and, you know, I don't know. That's just me as a sim racer standpoint from an analyst standpoint. That's how I would see it. But And that's kind of what I saw for the most part on, on Sunday. A lot of drivers seem to have be, been doing that. There were green flag pit stops all over the place. Uh, struggles on pit road for Alex Bowman. Missed a pit stop and speeding Bubba Wallace was later busted and confirmed on social <laughs> was later busted uh, uh, for speeding on pit road and confirmed on a, a on a social media post by his girlfriend Amanda so oh well she's and really killing it on the on his like social media feed have you paid attention to that I haven't paid attention to it at all I should now you, you should like next that. week at, at Bristol just watch her or he's using she's using his Instagram just just watch that it's very entertaining if if it's as entertaining as whatever Daniel Suarez. Oh my gosh! Is. Yeah, let's talk about this, okay? <laughs> let's talk about this. First off, all of a sudden, this is this is the greatest thing. Mike Joy goes and uh, Daniel Suarez has been parked by iRacing officials for attempting to wreck Ty Dillon. Jeff Gordon's response, huh? <laughs> I busted out laughing. <laughs> And he goes like, "Yeah, that's what happened. You can try to wreck him." And they did. They had a replay. Yeah, and it was a total like. I mean, I mean, he failed. He, he failed. He, he failed. Missed. And then, and then Mike Joy brought up. Well, I think it was Mike Joy brought up the Danica Patrick deal. And I'm like, "Oh, okay." But at least Danica hit him. 
At least Danica hit him. At so least this makes Danica, it worse. When Danica wrecked herself trying to wreck the Landon Castle, at least she actually did successfully spin out Landon Castle. And yes. momentarily inconvenience his race. Yes. <laughs> I say Very momentarily sweet. inconvenience his race. Yeah, Daniel Suarez didn't do any of that for Ty Dillon. He just hit the wall, crashed out, and then and then if you watch the radioactive, he says, I'm going to wreck him. And then he gets on social media afterwards and pulls a Noah Gragson <laughs> and blames the dog. I'm like, what? First off, I'm like, I can't believe he did this. He he did it. He pulled, he pulled a bubble, uh, or excuse me, a Noah Gragson and an Alex Bowman all at the same time because he blamed the dog, and then he got caught. And then he got caught with it. He forgot that he had a camera on him. I thought this was the craziest moment of the race. When looking back, <laughs> this is the moment. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe you it. it. You I cannot it. believe it. I'm sorry, I'm laughing so hard. I'm, I'm, it's bad radio to laugh right into the mic, but I've listened to Bob and Tom for so many years, it doesn't even phase me anymore. So I just do it. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was nuts, it was nuts, it was nuts, it was nuts. I, I thought, I, I saw that replay. I saw and I thought to myself, well, he wouldn't be the first guy to completely misreckon someone in sim racing. Because I've done that. Of course, AI bumps me but out of the way. national television. Right. You know, it, it, you know I, I'm not proud of it. But, you know, I've been, I've been ejected from online races before for trying to get, get somebody back under caution or under green or whatever. We've all done it. He's We're not Johnny proud Sauter, of it. Folks. He's We're not totally proud of it. Johnny Sauter. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you pretty much did. I don't like thinking about Johnny Sauter when I don't have to, but I guess we are. Sorry. <laughs> By the way, no, actually, I want to say something about Johnny Sauter. Is actually, he's one of the guys that I've intent wrecked because I've had races. These are these are offline races, so it's with AI. And I don't know what who I was racing. I don't know who set this up, but somebody, I looked in, the aggression level of Johnny Sauter was like set to 100. If you played NR2003 at all, you, there's ratings. So you can set the ratings so you can make the drivers perform more realistically, drive more realistically as to their real-life counterparts. It's to make the AI actual artificial intelligence. And whoever did this with this mod I was racing with apparently did this with Johnny Sauter and made him so aggressive that every single time he was behind me, he wrecked me. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know if I was slowing up too fast. I don't know if he wasn't breaking or I don't know. I don't know if there was a glitch in the game, whatever, but he would wreck me every time. I think I was racing like a Rockingham or something. Did you have a red bumper? Uh, I was driving as Casey Kane. So technically, but his bumper was indeed yellow in 2004. So probably not. Uh, but he, he would wreck me every time. And so I got fed up once. And. <laughs> Thank goodness it's a game. I drive full speed into the pits and just slam them into the wall. <laughs> okay. I just, and I, I, just, I just said, okay, I'm done with it. I got my revenge. I'm done with it. Thank goodness it's not real. But this one, this one I got to say on Daniel Suarez's part, is I have sim raced with cats and dogs, both in my broom, and I have never had one of them bother me while I'm doing it. So... I don't... If he's racing with his dog I mean, on possible. his lap... It's possible, though. But, I mean, he's still... He's got to be his dog on his lap. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, maybe the dog unplugs the steering wheel and your steering wheel breaks and, you you know, you shoot to the right. Then you're pulling a Dylan Hart Jr. and trying to steer with with your hand. With your hand, yeah. That's that's true. That That is that is still one of the coolest things I've ever seen Dale Jr. do. So, <laughs> Daniel Suarez, congratulations. We've caught you lying. 
we can we can yeah. thank you. You know, we don't need Snopes to confirm this. We've we've caught you lying. Um, <laughs> so you know, there we go. Uh, let, let's and, and and let's talk about the end of the. So I don't know. Has Ty Dillon has Ty Dillon even said anything about this, or did he even care? <laughs> He even cared. Well, the funny though, the thing that made it funnier is that he said Austin Dillon on the thing, and then he tries to wreck Ty Dillon. <laughs> he did say, yeah, did he did call him? That Austin. was the worst. That was, I don't actually, I don't know what was worse. He misidentified the Dillon brother, or he he, he did it worse than Danica Patrick. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what's worse. America, let us know. Um, and world. I mean, you can look it up. Social media. Uh, look, I, 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 I'm not going to openly admit to being a Danica Patrick apologist. But again, I'm gonna say this over and over she again. Did it better than he did. actually spun out Landon Castle. She <laughs> made contact. He didn't. At best, he brushed the bumper. <laughs> At best. Well, so because of time here, let's 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 get going on here. Let's finish. let's talk about Timmy Hill's boot scootin' boogieing. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Well, first off, I saw that coming. Well, he was getting these runs on him. And I then know, he right. actually moved him. I mean, he took the shot. He said, I may not get in any boot scooting boogie him. It was great. I love I love how I love how he identified it that way. So, you know It wasn't a bump and run. No, it was a boot no, scooting boot boogie. Scoot boogie. So when he wins, it when he actually wins a NASCAR race, he has to do a boot scooting boogie in victory lane. That is his calling now. Just just say this one this one put down to uh, out there. If, if, hey man, if there's anybody who deserves another look after all of this, Timmy Hill, I'm not gonna, I, you know, maybe this is being a little bit uh, too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. Too presumptuous, I guess? But if there's anybody guys are gonna be looking at this silly season, it's gonna be Timmy Hill, I bet. I, I mean, yeah, Tim, Timmy Hill. Well, I think you have to throw... Um, there's three people who have run in the top 10 who are cup drivers consistently in the, in these I racing rate, these two I racing races. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and that's Timmy Hill, Garrett Smithley and Landon Castle. Oh, I Landon mean, Castle, no, no doubt has always been in my top five most underrated drivers. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I agree. He should not, he should, he should be in better equipment than, well, than what he was at Starcom and he Starcom, made that right. Starcom equipment better. And then they kick him out because a guy brought a million dollars. So we still don't know well, we who Quinn Houth is. I mean, I still don't know who Quinn Houth like uh, clearly he exists, but does he? Do you, I mean, I do you see him on Twitter? Do you see him on I think he wrecked he he, he no, I, no has I he even run these iRacing events? No. Just put Timmy Hill on a ride. Well then again, oh. actually I don't know if he well he would have been guaranteed in because he's a cup driver for a cup team, so no. He wouldn't have had to make it through a qualifying race because he's a cup driver and a cup in a cup team, so he would have been guaranteed in the in the race. But uh, so no, he hasn't won. So Quinn Half just, I mean, what, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder what he's doing right now. <laughs> he might be playing NASCAR Thunder 2004 like everyone else wants to. You know what? I got to tell you something. I've been playing that the last couple of days. I wish I had my PlayStation with my PlayStation Two with me because I would be playing. <laughs> That's what I'm playing it on my PlayStation Two. I got, actually yeah. got. This is gonna sound weird. I got two PlayStation Twos. Don't ask me why or how. I got two PlayStation 2s. I had one that my dad bought us as a kid that nobody else wanted that I ended up basically inheriting. And then mm -hmm. another one in college one day, a friend came up to me and just handed me a box with a PS2, a bunch of games, and a PS2 racing wheel and pedals. And I just took it. I was like, all right, I already got a PS2. I don't care. I'll just take this new PS2. I still use it because it's a first-gen PS2. The second one, I, the, the other one I had was a... a 
a slim model PS2. Yeah. And I like that first gen one a lot more. I don't know, just because it looks cooler. Uh, and it's more akin to what I remember as a kid. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, PS2s are really cheap now too. You could you can go get one for like all and NASCAR Thunder two thousand four is like a couple of dollars. Trust me, I'm a I'm a game collector. I'm a video game collector. I know, I know what's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's let's go ahead and uh, before I derail this uh, podcast any further with my uh, nonsensical ramblings, let's go ahead and talk about the outstanding performance and who we're giving it to. Josh, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Well, since I got to pick first, which I, one of these weeks I need to let you pick first or just let you override me. But Why would I'm I giving it to the same guy you gave it to last week, Timmy Hill. Right, but I agree with you. I mean, I would have yeah. picked him. I would have yeah, picked I know, him. I know you would have picked, picked him, him. I, but I'm saying, like, if you would have picked first, you would have picked him. And I feel bad. I feel bad. No, because... don't feel bad about that because the uh, the guy I picked deserves it just as much as Timmy Hill. I want you. I, I want you to. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this behind the scenes. Who picks first next week? But yeah, Timmy okay. Hill, just because he's ran up front basically these two races, had a shot at winning, and he and he did what he had to do. To win, and that Ooh. was taking the opportunity, the best Oops. opportunity that he had, and moved him out of the way. But he also ran up front, and yeah, and he held off a restart. He did his job there, um, and I don't know if he just did it better or I forget who lined up second there now on this restart. Now that we're talking about it, but they didn't <laughs> weren't able to get down in line right away like like Timmy Hill was able to a number of times in, in those restarts. So uh, when William Byron led for eighty laps. So, yeah, Timmy Hill. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I've been watching Timmy Hill go out there and race in NASCAR primarily for really since for the better part of 10 years, about just about a little over 10 years now. But watch Timmy Hill a lot. I've always, you know, a lot of people back in the day, um, you know, on old forums, on old racing forums would 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 hype this guy up all the time. And I always wondered why he was hyped up so much. It was because just because how how good of a driver he was on iRacing, which always just kind of surprised me a little bit. I didn't, I've never seen him run, run an iRacing event, but now having seen him run two iRacing events, I'm, I'm more impressed with his t- talent level than I think I ever have been. Uh, so definitely, I mean, it, if he could, if, if we could both give it to Timmy Hill, I'm probably sure we would give it, but you know, my pick is going to go to Sage Karam. Just as, I mean, Timmy Hill deserves it. But I pick Sage Karam because I think Sage Karam just deserves it just as much as Timmy Hill does because it's not easy to lead wire to wire in an online race. It's just not. I mean, believe me, I, I mean, I've seen people who have tried to. And I've been in situations where I can, but there's just so many factors. There are so many factors that happen in an online race because, I mean, all hell can break loose in, in, one, in one lap. And then the next thing, if you get involved in that or if you get a bad restart or if you make a bad pit decision something like that you know you can get eaten up and it can destroy your race and you, you won't win you won't lead wire to wire you could get involved in uh, a back marker brawl which is believe me has happened to me way too many times when the lapped cars wreck themselves wreck themselves right in front of you i mean i mean there are so many factors at hand and so for sage karen to just go out there and just dominate dominate it's like he's having a sunday drive everybody else is playing on easy he's not even sweating I mean, give it to him. I mean, I'm not sure if he got really lucky or if he just outdrove everybody, but I think it was a combination of both, and it was a stellar performance that deserves recognition. So that's why I'm going to go ahead and give mine to Sage Karam, yeah. even though I think Timmy Hill deserves it just as much. But, I, you know, I got to pick one, and we've already given it to the both people who deserve it. I don't know anybody else who deserves it. Really, Realistically, truthfully, I don't. 
I mean, you could give some honorable mentions in there, but could, there's definitely a few honorable mentions you could give it to. I mean, you give one to to Scott McLaughlin, you give one for Alex Bowman for his rebound, Dale mm-hmm. Jr. for his rebound. Uh, I mean, there's a few you could give it to. Yeah, um, absolutely. Scott for what he was doing for 20-some laps. Right. I mean, but those two are definitely the standouts. Right, exactly. Those are the two guys that really just impressed impressed the, me the most. Yeah. I mean, they just they were just better. Looking Let's forward to this and... Saturday and Sunday for it again. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy. I am excited. I am excited now. Thank goodness weekends don't suck because there's nothing on TV on a Saturday if unless there's sports. And I mean, seriously, seriously, this Saturday, if you have cable, try to find something that's not terrible on television. You you, you won't. You won't. It, it, it doesn't happen. They're just everything is just boring. Anyway, on a lighter note, let's move on to the upshift and downshift, which is our favorite segment, which is where we get to be even more opinionated than normal. Uh, so if you're unfamiliar, upshift, which means you agree, or downshift, which means you disagree to a series of hypothetical statements and or questions regarding recent news and topics around the racing world. So go ahead and get into it. Our first upshift, downshift question statement. It's actually a question. Um, I had to read the very end of it to make sure if it was a question or a statement. Uh, as it stands, the next-gen NASCAR Cup Series car will be delayed. Do you upshift or downshift on the idea of another season where two different non-models of cars are ran in a single season? I touched on this actually a little bit before earlier in the show, but Josh, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on it. I, I, I downshift. I don't like the idea of it. Um, again, you look at costs. You look at rule books. I definitely don't like the idea of saying, hey, we're going to run the Gen 6 car for the first 14 races, and then the remaining of the season, we're going to run the next Gen car. Definitely against that. Um, We just need to delay it completely. Let's get it right. Um, Because you're going to have – there's no testing going on right now, so you need to get the car right. Let's not throw something in that's ill-prepared and learn as we go. Let's delay it till Daytona 2022. You know, I, I think you're probably right about that one. You know, and I said it a little bit before. Uh, if NASCAR's learned anything from when they did this with the car of tomorrow, they should probably think a little bit more about it and be like, yeah, this is probably, we should probably delay it and integrate it first to a full year. Because, you know, when they did the, the Gen 6, it wasn't like a net, you know, you didn't, naturally progress into the gen six it just daytona came and boom we're running this new car and i think a lot of those reasons were because of what happened with the car of tomorrow because of the things that they learned i mean these teams well the thing you have to keep in mind is we're already looking at a situation where the economy is going to be rough when this thing when we all come out of this there's no way to get around around that the economy is going to be rough uh you can't be having a situation where teams are going to need to be spending money on an outdated package and the new package, you know, that seems, I mean, it seems like a waste of resources, a waste of time, a waste of money. You could do this thing. You could do this thing if everything was normal, but then again, if everything was normal, you wouldn't need to do this thing. So ultimately I think you're right. You're absolutely right. The best route for NASCAR to go to do right now is to just go ahead and delay it until 2022 race another season in 2021 with the current package, current Gen 6 car, and, you know, hopefully everything's better. I mean, we've got a good package right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we saw prior to, you know, fe- after until Phoenix was really good racing on almost every track that we had. So 
I'm not I'm not going to be upset about it if we delay it another week because another year because I know that the racing that we're going to get in 2021 is going to be good and predictable yet not predictable at the same time. Uh which is good, which is what you want. You don't want the race to be predictable. You know, you don't want to be like, okay, this is going to be a boring race or you don't want to go into a situation where I don't know what's going to happen. Personally, I'm going to go ahead and and say NASCAR needs to delay it. Uh on to the second question here reportedly NASCAR is considering returning to races without fans at the racetrack. Would you upshift or downshift on a return to races without fans? Josh, what is your thought? This is tough. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's probably the toughest question on here. Um, Obviously, it just depends on what what the situation is. If it is best to return to races for a month without fans, we need to do it. If the situation allows, he says, you know what, we can't have, we can put a garage full of teams and, and personnel and track personnel to operate it. Um, I would say that that needs to happen. Just because you already got seven races you got to make up in only two of the tracks. And there's only two race week, two tracks coming up there that aren't have a playoff date to have another race coming up here. And then you have a homestead in Atlanta where I could have to be made up and they don't have a second date anywhere. So it gets tough. I don't. I, I ha- I'm neutral on it because I'm both ways. I, I, I it stinks because we see boost in tickets for Martinsville. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's been reported, and at the same time, we can't you know we can't delay just to delay to get fans there. So I'm neutral on it. Well, my my opinion is when you look at the way things are going right now, if we can get to a point where we are confident that we can run a race without fans, without posing a threat to the drivers, to the teams, to the media, to uh, everybody, then by all means, there's no problems running a race without fans just to, just to get things going, just to get people watching, just to get some kind of hope going. But you also have to look at the reality of things. And IndyCar, you know, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, all of the things IndyCar was doing at St. Petersburg, all of the pre-screening, you know, everybody was taking your temperature. You had to, you had, before you entered the grounds, you got to have your temperature taken. Uh, you know, you had to fill out a form. You had to, you know, you know, you had to do a bunch of other stuff. You you were screened essentially before you were able to even walk into the grounds. It, it didn't matter who you were, driver, crew chief, media member. Didn't I mean Roger Penske probably was had to get checked. Um, you know, it's just stuff like that. And and I just I just feel very strongly like in the racing community we have a lot of people who could be at risk. You know, there's a lot of I mean let's be let's be honest. There's a lot of old people out there. There's a lot of old owners. There's a lot of old crew guys. And that's not a disparaging thing. I mean, that's just is a state. I mean, I'm I'm old to some people, and I'll admit that I'm old to some people. I'm 24, so I'm not old to everybody. But you know, to a five year old, I'm old. Uh, relative. So when you look look take things into account, you have to just you have to just be playing on the side of safety. Uh, and it's it's not going to be safe to let everybody in. It might not be safe to let some people in. If you know what I mean. Well, as much as I'd like to see races continue without fans, I think it's best that we just wait until we get the okay that, hey, okay, you can go on without these fans as long as you do this. As long as the risk to the teams and the drivers and all the participants and the media and everybody is minimalized. And I don't think, unfortunately, we're at a point yet where that can be decided. So we might just have to to wait, 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 and wait until we can run a stripped-down race. And that's why, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go ahead and, and downshift right now. As much as I'd like to see it, I just don't think it's practical. So, 
that's where I'm going for it. If you disagree or agree, hey, that's fine. No worries. Go ahead. Ask Robin Roller. Hashtag Robin Roller. Go ahead and talk with us. We love to hear your opinions on this stuff. Next question here. Uh, with the extent of interest by drivers in lower divisions, do you upshift or downshift that a single iRacing event should be set up for drivers in the remaining divisions of NASCAR? And this seems like a good question, actually, to ask because it's kind of interesting. I upshift. I mean, you have 64 guys on the entry list. Um, 31 guaranteed to this past race of Texas. Only four were moving on. Um, Justin Allgaier brought up a good point. You know, they got they have teams and they have sponsors they want to put out there and, and get on, you know, television, right? So um, let them get it set up another race. You know, maybe you don't have to televise it. Maybe it could be a part of, you know, your uh, uh, Wednesday night eye racing that we have discussed, uh, that you discussed earlier. Um, let's let's give them a shot. Let's give them a, a chance to put their their sponsors, their teams, um, give them some spotlight. I upshift. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a really good way to go about it, I think. Um, personally, uh, I think it, I, I'm, up, I'm upshifting too. I think that it's a great opportunity for drivers and sponsors some more uh to get a, a lot more exposure at during this time hopefully it'll it'll bring more eyes to the tv i mean really ultimately what we're looking at here is we got to find ways to make this work as well as we possibly can um and uh you know i we absolutely need to make sure that no matter what we do we are helping these teams and these drivers and everybody else get through the economic implications of what all of this is going to do so anytime we can come up with other ideas to help the networks the teams the sponsors the drivers everybody out i think we should be doing that absolutely because everybody is bleeding money right now it doesn't matter who you are if you're rich if you're poor everybody's bleeding money right now anybody who can help out we got we just got to make sure that that's done um so the next question i'm going to go ahead and we're going to talk about is an equally silly, silly one that I think both of us already agree on. Uh, and if you haven't heard this news, go ahead and read it. It's crazy. It's actually kind of going viral right now because how wild it is. Um, Red Bull advisor Dr. Helmut Marco has suggested that F1 teams are opening to uh, uh, ending the season, 2020 season in January uh, 2021 in order for, uh, in order to get the most races in at, I thought this was going to be something different. I'm sorry. I'm going to reread this again. Red Bull advisor Dr. Helmut Marco has suggested that F1 teams are open to ending the 2020 season in January 2021 in order to get the most races in as they can now uh, use the 2020 chassis and tires in 2021 with delayed regulations. Do you upshift or downshift on this potential calendar solution? That is not where I thought that question was going. I totally just briefed over to that. Can I, can I talk about that real quick? You can talk about that real quick like, if you want. Okay, so Dr. Helmut Marco also said that he thought that F1 drivers should purposefully get exposed to the coronavirus to develop a herd immunity. I thought we were upshifting and downshifting on whether or not that was a smart idea, which we could all both agree was a dumb idea, just immediately downshift. And now I realize we, why we probably left that off, because it was a pointless question if we're both going to downshift. Whew. All right. <laughs> Whew. Do you upshift on downshift? What Dr. Marco said about the schedule. Yeah. yeah. Not what he said about herd immunity, yeah. but the schedule. So yeah, basically what he was wanting to do here is like, hey, let's just let's extend the twenty twenty season into January. And for twenty twenty one, let's use twenty twenty regulations and chassis and tires. 
this is a smart idea because then you wouldn't have to have the the testing and development for a new car uh, under the current regulations anyway. So yeah, I upshift. You know, you'd probably they start their season again in March, so you'd, they have six. Well, we'll call it six weeks off. All right, we'll we'll call it that um, to kind of rebound, reset, and and get going into the twenty twenty one season again using the same cars they developed this year. Uh, and the and the tires that Pirelli brought, I upshift. It's a good calendar solution. Yeah, I think in in definitely in Formula One, there should be some kind of like development freeze uh, after they come back from the summer Corona break. I'm going to call it the Corona break. Um, you know that they should have some kind of development freeze because ultimately they should not be encouraging anybody to try and develop things right now. Because again, talking about World economics, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about ep- economics in a public health situation, but unfortunately, it's something that we're going to have to deal with when this is all over. We're going to have to deal with the economic impacts of this, of shutting down everything. You cannot be almost encouraging these guys to bleed. Mo- like, like imagine Ferrari or Mercedes going out there and they're still developing their car for next season. Well, Haas and Racing Point and uh, you know, all these, all the, the midfield teams are going to be looking around saying, Hey, we couldn't spend money for like six weeks, six months. I mean, what, what yeah. do you mean? You guys have a faster car than us now. What? How's that? You already had a faster car. They're going to have a faster. Right, like now, now you're going, you, you were 10 miles an hour faster than us. Now you're 20 miles an hour faster than us because you guys got more money than we do. And you didn't lose as much as we did. It's just not fair. So I think he's, he's absolutely right. I mean, we need to have a, some kind of, 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 a freeze overall to uh, Formula One uh, development and just say, all right, we're just going to wait until 2022. I think everything that was coming, NASCAR and Formula One, should just wait until 2022 because trying to get it out next year is just flat out unfair to all the teams and drivers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so the next question here is speaking more about financials, financial. Uh, if it financially makes sense, the next-gen NASCAR Cup Series car should be introduced into the NASCAR Xfinity Series 22. Do you upshift or downshift, Josh? Because this is an interesting question. I actually want to hear about your thoughts on this one. I upshift because of a number of reasons. One, there's going to be a lot of burden put on some of these teams whenever this next car rolls out anyways, if it were to roll out in 21, because they weren't going to be able to buy old cup tires. The teams, some of the lower-budget teams, weren't going to be able to buy old cup tires. Because car tires wouldn't fit on theirs anymore, right? Mm-hmm. But also, I do kind of miss the days where the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series ran the same car, right? Mm-hmm. There's a few slight differences, usually in the engine. Um, but also, I, just for the development, you know, you don't have to learn a new car. Okay, you right, here's the car. When I move it from the Truck Series to the Xfinity Series, all right, this car might have slightly different packages, might have slightly different ho- horsepower, but it's it's the same car moving forward. Um, I'll give a little, I thought about this. I'll give you a little um, asterisk sort of to this. If, because I look at Toyota because they're the only person, do, only manufacturer doing this. Chevy runs the Camaro in the Cup and in, in Xfinity Series. Ford runs the Mustang in the Cup and Xfinity Series. Toyota runs the Camry in the Cup Series and the Supra in the Xfinity Series. If they wanted to run a different car, like, model car in the Xfinity series and continue on the Supra, they could, 
but you wouldn't be able to use the Super in the Cup Series and the Camry in the, in the Xfinity Series if you, you get get my drift here. Mm-hmm. I would allow them to do that, but they'd obviously that'd be more development for them um, to do to, to do that. I would allow them to do that, but I do think they should run the, the Xfinity Series should be run the same car as the Cup Series in general to begin with. Upshift. Ah, uh, yeah, no, that's an upshift for me too because I've been saying it for a long time. It's- you know, people ask, like, well, why do the rookies always struggle when they get it in the cup? And because they're driving a totally different car than they've been driving for the past two, three years. You know, they're having to relearn an entire, uh, you know, an entirely new car. And the competition level is so much higher than what it was. So, you you know, their learning curve. I think about all these rookies. I mean, the fact of the matter is that Chase Elliott was able to win a race as soon as he was. And I mean, it took him a couple of years. The fact, the, the fact of the matter is... That is concerning. It should have not. It should not have taken Chase Elliott as long as it did to win a, win his first race. It shouldn't have. I mean, he should have been able to win a race a lot before then. He shouldn't have had to basically relearn how to drive a car, and then having to relearn how to drive all these new packages. That's absolutely something that they should do. Now, I mean, that's what that's what they used to do, and that's what made a lot of went back when it was Bush series and the Nationwide series, uh, and they ran the same car. I mean, it was not that hard. I mean, guys would run uh, a bush race to get more experience in the cup on the cup on the cup race. Guys would run a cup race uh, for for you know experimental reasons, um, you know, and they were all the same car. You know, you could take a rookie from the bush series, put him into a, a cup car, and just you know say, hey, this is what it's like. It's going to be a little bit the same, but this is what the competition level is like. You know what I mean? And it was really good experience for a lot of them. They learned a lot. Now you're not learning a lot. You know, you're relearning everything, and you're having to learn way more. It, it, it absolutely needs to be done. I don't know about uh, what Toyota is going to do if that ends up happening, actually being a thing, but it needs to be done. Uh, Josh, you have another point you'd like to add? Yeah. Here's another thing. When you can't run an additional car, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're maxed out, right, it helps to have your development guy, you know, running the same equipment. You know? Exactly. So our similar, at least similar package and equipment, you're running basically the same car. It helps in that situation. Right, because if you look at the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series right now, the Xfinity cars are faster than the Cup cars, and you drive them entirely differently than the Cup cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just... In what, in, what other, in what other racing series is that a thing? I mean, you don't go... Like, you go through Indy Lights, Mazda Road to Indy, or Road to Indy, you don't get in cars that are so grossly different than the Indy car. I mean, they're all Dolores. I mean, they're different looks, different chassis, but they all drive the same. You know, you learn the same tools in the car as you would when you get up to the actual car. In in Formula One feeder series, same exact deal right there. You mean you move from, you know, Formula, from, um, you know, the regional Formula 3, and then you move up to actual Formula 3, Formula 2. All those cars drive the exact same. You move into Formula 1, the cars drive a little bit different, but you're expected to be able to adapt by that point by the time you get into Formula 1. So, you know, most drive, you know, cream rises to the top in that situation. But in NASCAR, it's totally different. I mean, the cream can't rise to the top if they're being hindered because they're having to relearn how to drive for two seasons, you know? And then by that point, they've already, you know, you, you run into a situation like Daniel Suarez where people think that they're damaged goods and they don't want them. And it's like, but Suarez won an Xfinity championship and he's run top five, top 10, run within, within top 20 in the points every season. Why is he, you know, out of this? This doesn't make any sense. You see situations like that. And I just want to avoid those. I want to avoid those as much as we can. 
We're going to move on here real quick. With the success NASCAR has experienced so far with iRacing and TV and Fox Sports doubling down with Wednesday Night iRacing, do you upshift or downshift that it's time for NBC and IndyCar to find a way to broadcast the IndyCar iRacing Challenge? Short and sweet, yeah, upshift. Do it. They need to get it on NBC or NBCSN. Again, what else are you putting on NBC right? NBCSN right now? All right. Uh, what doctors? else are you putting on NBC right now? So do it. Find a way. Fox found a way. NBC can find a way. NBC should find a way. All I've seen on there is Meekum Auctions, reruns of Meekum Auctions, and maybe Sky Sports News. I mean, that's it. They don't have the Dan Patrick show anymore, so who cares? Anyway, let's go ahead and move on to Rollers Featured Racetrack, because I have never heard about this. I have no idea what any of this is, and I'm going to learn about it. Take it away. Well, I'm glad we both are completely learning new stuff today. Um, so in this period of time where I find myself spending a lot of extra time inside my apartment, I'm watching shows I haven't watched in a while. One of those shows that has flashed across my television screen is Boardwalk Empire. The mob gangster show is centered around Atlantic City, New Jersey, primarily in the 1920s through its, uh, its, its, its run. Um, and in the second half of the roaring, roaring 20s, cars rolled around a racetrack about 23 miles outside of Atlantic City at Adam, at Adam Toll Speedway, a.k.a. Atlantic City Speedway. So, as, as mentioned, Adam Toll Speedway was located about 23 miles northwest of Atlantic City, very close to Hammondtown, New Jersey, uh, which that town is also mentioned in Boardwalk Empire, by the way. Huh. Uh, the, the track was a board track common for the time. It was constructed in 1926 uh, by the Jack Prince Construction Company of Oakland, California. The primary investor, Charles M. Schwab, an American industrialist and steel magnate, he poured millions into the, millions of dollars into this project in an attempt to rival the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis 500. The track was 1.5 miles in length. Board track, completely board track. One point five board miles, track. That made, was wow. Yeah, and that made it the largest in the country at the time. Board track, anyways. Obviously, the Indy Indianapolis Speedway was around, and it was two point five miles. Yeah, but that was it brick. Was, that wasn't a board track. Yeah, but it, it was it was longer. The was right. a, this was the largest board track. It was fifty feet wide and had forty five degree turns. What? Yes. I don't want to hear about crashes. <laughs> Oh god. Well, I don't have any crash to report today. Okay, good. Imagine and imagine going into 45 degree banking. That's that's nuts. Um so its history actually begins prior to 1926. During the final years of World War II, TNT stores were depleting. World War One. And a new explosive was invented to help supplement the TNT. This explosive was named Adam Toll. Shortly Is it Adam Toll or Amatoll? Amatol, Amatol, thank you. Amatol, shortly after the United States entered the war, a, a munitions plant in Village was constructed in the Pine Barrens east of Hammondtown. Okay? The town was named Amatol. Yeah, all right. They weren't really creative with the names here. Um, the town was named that, named after the munitions. It was built on 6,000 acres of land. Uh, what was supposed to be a temporary town to begin with was extremely short lived because. The war ended shortly after it was completed. The village and munitions factory were eventually demolished and abandoned. Um, the houses were actually dismantled and moved somewhere else. And uh, about five years later, 
the munitions factory was torn down. So that's about 1923. And then three years later, the board track goes up where the munitions factory stood. Okay. Hmm. Uh, the wooden bull held its first race on May 1st, 1926. It was the third race of the AAA champ car season. And it was a 300 mile race. 16 cars started the event and conflicting results say between six and nine cars were running at the finish. Harry Hart of Panoma, California completed the 300 miles in two hours, 15 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, he led only the final seven laps. He passed Pete DePaulo, uh, who had led the previous 28 laps, he finished second. Bob McDonough uh, finished third, and he led the first 165 laps. Now, I can't tell you what happened, why these were passes were made, but this is what happened. I saw the lap leader break down, <laughs> and that's what I can tell you. Okay, uh, The average speed of the race was 134.091 miles per hour. I felt like that was pretty fast for the day. Probably has something to do with those 45-degree turns. Um, AAA champ car visited once more in 1926 in July. The Centennial, I can't say that very well, but basically celebrating 150 years, all right? It was the Sequentcentennial Classic. It was run on July 17th. I believe it was celebrating 150 years of America's birthday, okay? America turned 150 years old in 1926, all right? Two heat races were 40 laps apiece and were won by Harry Hartz and Norman Batten. A 40-lap semifinal race was won by Fred Comer, all right? So, last chance showdown race. The main event was won once again by Harry Hartz. He dominated there that year. He's very good at this track. Yeah. All four races paid championship points, all right, uh, for the season that year. Uh, Hartz won the race uh, in 58 minutes, 21 seconds. It was uh, a 120-mile event the main event was 120 miles in length of the 13 starters seven finished the main event in average speed of 123.41 miles per hour in 1927 uh amatol returned to the AAA champ car calendar uh, but the season consisted of far fewer events that year and it only had a single date so only one date syracuse new york's dave lewis won the event al melcher was second, and the man to beat in 26, Harry Hartz, was third. The final race at Amatol was on May 30th, 1928. It was a combination of cars and motorcycles. I wish I had what? more to share with you on that one, but I couldn't find the results. That's like That's multi-class I, racing on steroids. That is, exactly. I mean, just think of having MotoGP and IMSA racing together. Wow. Yeah, that would be pretty nuts. Um... Schwab just basically lost interest in racing. He, he yeah, I'm done. Yeah, had a good run. He got the money. Yeah. I don't know if he ever recuperated all his money. That would be a good thing to know. Uh, the track was closed through racing, but leased out to some automobile companies for testing. That's an interesting testing cars for racing. I don't, I don't know. But couldn't find details on that. Possibly for automobile cars, too, because if this is in the 20. 20- if this is in 28, yeah, probably around. Yeah, but still, what you're going to test? You're going to test on 45 degree turns. He's going to go down the straight, turn around, go back. I don't know. It's not like a test track today where they're where they're slightly banked or completely flat. You know, you look at some of the test tracks yeah. around the country. It none of them have 45 degree turns. I promise you that. No, no, um, no deal. The uh, so the track stood for another five years after it closed before being demolished in the timber 
was uh, the timber used to build the track and the grandstands were sold as lumber. So maybe there's nope. a building or two around there that have Amatol Speedway lumber holding it up. I don't know. But the administration building um, was was remodeled and used by the New Jersey State Police. It's right across the road. Uh, wow. So nothing has been built on the former racetrack. While trees have grown tall and wider and more dense, uh, Mother Nature has also encroached on the course where the boards were laid out. Um, and the 50-foot track is, like, narrow now. So uh, you are actually able to walk most of the track if not all of it. I couldn't get the exact map coordinates to where what parts are closed of this of this area because it is uh, maintained by the Hammondtown Creek Wildlife Management Area, and there's part of it that is under private property of the former 6,000 acres. So it's possible that you can walk the actual course in full or only part of it, but the no trespassing is clearly marked. And again, we don't endorse trespassing on Racing with Robin Roller. Uh, Always seek permission if when you can, and if you can't, don't trespass. All right, just take uh, a drone s- or something. That should work, right? What you can take a drone out there, right? You, you could, yeah, do you some could aerial stuff. That's true. You could, or you could look it up on Google Maps in historical aerials, my best friend, because you can actually see it from the sky. Still, you can make it out really? where the track okay. was. All right, so if you simply search New Jersey State Police Regional Lab, Hammondtown, New Jersey. And I should say it's pronounced Hammondtown, H-A-M-M-O-N-T-O-N, okay, New Jersey. It's just to the northeast there, right across Moss Mill Road. And you can see it, and it's oval. It looks just like Homestead Miami Speedway. <laughs> looks just like Homestead Miami Speedway. Homestead, but with 45 degrees of banking. Yeah, and yep. tree-covered. So there you go. You can still see it, and if you go to Historic Aerials, you can uh, go to the viewer, you can see the transformation over time. It's pretty cool. They don't. They have a 1931 image, but obviously the track was closed by then. But the boards are still up, and I forget the next year after that. But you can see slowly see you know just Mother Nature take over and take over and take over. So this is very cool. Um, I thought, is there a connection I can make? And I saw I saw this track. I was actually saw it as Atlantic City Speedway, mm-hmm. and um, the proper name was Amatol. So there you go. All right, that's Roller Feature Racetrack today. That took 10 minutes. Why don't you finish it up for us, Rob? Okay, well, that's right on. Uh, if we're going to go ahead and jump right in and finish this bad boy up, if you are listening to this before 8 p.m. on Wednesday, April 1st, this is not an April Fool's joke, head over to FS1 and watch two World of Outlaws features on the brand new Wednesday night iRacing featuring many familiar names like Brad Sweet, Ron Caps, Christopher Bell, and Kyle Larson on the virtual dirt track in Charlotte. Josh, unfortunately, that won't be outside your window, I guess. No. That'll be only outside the window in the virtual world. Yeah. On Saturday at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, the second IndyCar iRacing Challenge race takes place at the virtual Barber Motorsports Park. More names are expected to attempt the race and, possib- and qual- possibly qualify, including Robert Wickens, uh, who was kept out of the race because the steering wheel was not delivered. The race can be streamed on IndyCar.com, Facebook, and YouTube, I believe. I watched it on YouTube. I put it up on my TV. Watched it on my TV on YouTube. It there felt you like it was an actual NBC broadcast. I forgot, actually, that I was watching YouTube for a minute. <laughs> and then on Sunday, the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series. Again, doesn't roll off the tongue very well, but hey, I, I don't know. Can I call it? No, you can't call it PIS because that, no. Uh, <laughs> you say that out loud and, and you'll see why we're, we can't call it that. Uh, resumes for, the, for race number three at the virtual Bristol Motor Speedway. At 1 o'clock 
Yay! One o'clock on Fox FS1 and on Fox Sports app. I guess some of them are doing it on Fox. It some of them are doing it on FS1. Uh, yeah. Depending on if your local Fox station has planned programming at one o'clock Eastern on Sunday, which probably they don't. Let's be honest. Uh, 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 right now, at least they probably don't. <laughs> uh, that that'll that can be seen. So that's your esports calendar for this for this week. Now, what's in the windshield? We have had a great and wonderful time talking with you uh, so far for the past hour and twelve minutes. So we are we are glad to have this conversation, have this great forum for you guys at any given time. Uh, we want to remind you before we sign off that uh, if you haven't done so already, you're welcome to follow both Josh and I on Twitter. Um, me is I I am at located at rpeters33. That's r p e e t e r s three three. Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one. That's R O L L E R underscore zero one. And our Twitter can be found uh, at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds R O B A N D R O L L E R. So we're hoping to come back next week if there's more news, because we're going to probably end up talking about just nothing but e races for the foreseeable future, which will be a lot of fun, I'm sure. <laughs> so if you're a big esports fan, be sure to it's tune been in fun next so week. Far. Yeah, it sure has. So yeah, if you're a big esports fan, don't forget to tune in next week because a new podcast drops every Wednesday, every Wednesday at whatever time I actually get it up. (laughs) Trust me, we're all working from home and we're all sleeping whenever we want. Josh, when do you go to bed? Do you go to bed at like 11 o'clock or later? I think I'm going to bed about the same time, maybe a little bit later now, about about 1, waking up about 8.30. Okay, so you're definitely have a better sleep schedule than me. I go to bed whenever I please. 3 a.m., sometimes it's 7 a.m., who cares? And I wake up again whenever I darn well please. Today I woke up at 3 o'clock. Um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, because, again, when you're not working and there's nothing on television and you can't go outside, I, I, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, truly, truthfully? Tell, can you tell me what you're going to do? You're going listen, to listen to this podcast. You're going to listen to this podcast. Everybody is going to listen to this podcast. That's right. That's right. What we're asking you to do is listen to this podcast. Tell your friends all about it. And uh, be sure to tune in next week as we talk about more and more uh, e-racing, i-racing. Are we calling it e-racing? Could we call it e-racing? I'm not going to call it it virtual racing if I'm going to say something else. I'm going to call it i-racing. Well, yeah, because you can't call it i-racing. Because F1's got those virtual Grand Prix, but that's on like F1 2019. So you can't call that an iRace. That's an e-race, right? Yeah, that's what I would call an e-race. I don't know. Okay, tell us what you'd call it. Tell us what the nomenclature is going to be for us. And uh, so go ahead and use that hashtag Robin Roller to get in touch with us anytime. Remember, just a real quick uh, reminder that uh, we'll be back on next week on Wednesday. And uh, if you're watching this on Wednesday, April 1st, don't be don't forget to tune in to those iRacing events for the World of Outlaws tonight on FS1. So for Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Take care, everybody.